Hello again, awesomers. It is me. It's Steve Simonson. I'm coming back to you today with another uh, awesomers.com episode. Now, as you, if you're keeping score at home, as I like to say, you realize that uh, I'm not setting a particular schedule on these uh, episodes because my schedule is so nutty. Um, I won't lament on air, if so to speak, about all of my <laughs> scheduling issues. But let's just say there's a lot happening, and, uh, and I'm trying to get as much done as I can, but here I am, nevertheless, uh, to talk to you today about a very important topic, um, and that topic is kind of the top three questions people ask about e-commerce, and uh, I want to call your attention to the fact that awesomers.com slash 138 is how you find the show notes and the episode details today, and today for the video viewers, I'm actually sharing the screen from awesomers.com slash 138. I'm sharing it before the actual episode is recorded, so it may look a little different by the time you go check it out by going to awesomers.com slash 138, but you'll get the gist, and I think the crux of it is largely going to be what you see in the end. So, uh, first of all, I want to just uh, call your attention to this, this question, and the question is, what are e-commerce businesses all about? What are the questions that people ask related to e-commerce businesses? And I think this is important from different perspectives. We, those of us in the e-commerce business like myself, we're consumed by what does it mean to us and how does it affect our business? But there are people like buyers that these questions that I'm about to go through impact their psychology of how likely they are to use you as an e-commerce business or buy from you on a marketplace like Amazon or eBay or Rakuten or any of those other things. By the way, I don't know if it's Rakuten, Rakuten, I don't know how to pronounce that. I went to the Rakuten or Rakuten Optimism Conference last year, and at least the five, first five speakers, including the founder, all pronounced it differently. And so I have really no idea how to pronounce it. Uh, the MC of that event, by the way, was uh, terrible and uh, pronounced it herself uh, probably a half a dozen different ways. It was amazing. All right, so again, let's jump into the topic and, and just really dive down onto the point of, you know, what are the most e-commerce, uh, most common e-commerce related questions? And I figure we just tackle three of them. There's a lot of questions that people ask that we don't have time to get into today, but this is gonna be a fairly short and concise episode, but I wanna just call your attention to these questions that come up and all you have to do is go to awesomers.com slash 138 and you'll see some of the top questions and you'll even see some of the, the Google top responses to those questions. So number one question really is when did e-commerce start, right? A lot of people wonder well, where did it all begin? And I, I think part of the, that question could be answered that, you know, the, the commercialization happened once they allowed things to, um, once they allowed different companies to exchange information like EDI, uh, which is Electronic Data Interchange, that's an acronym, and also EFT, Electronic Funds Transferred. And we found a good article over at eCommerce Land, and we've linked to it on the page, but here's just a little snippet of what they say. Uh, the history of e-commerce dates back to the invention of the very old notion of sell and buy, electricity, cables, modems, and the internet. E-commerce became possible in 1991 when the internet was first opened to commercial use. Since that date, thousands of businesses have taken up residence at websites. In fact, more than thousands, millions uh, at this time of this podcast. 
Now, at first, the term e-commerce meant the process of execution of a commercial transaction electronically, like the things I talked about, EDI and EFT, which gave the opportunity for users to exchange business information and do electronic transfers of either data or actual commerce, like money. The ability to use these technologies appeared in the late 70s, but you used to have um, what was called a VAN, a value-added network. So it wasn't on the internet at large, it was on dedicated networks. So if you wanted to use EDA in the late 70s or early 80s, or EDI, excuse me, in the late 70s, early 80s, you had to subscribe to a VAN, which essentially was where your computer modem dialed a set number, logged in, and it was kind of a, a very controlled transaction. Whereas the internet is like, well, anybody can log on. Even if you can't get to that service, you still, in other words, getting into somebody's account to make a, a transaction because of uh, security and so forth, you still can get to their website. And that's, that's kind of the difference between a dedicated, isolated network and the internet, which is all connected. Now, uh, they go on to say, although the internet... Uh, began to advance in popularity to the general public in 1994, it took about four years to develop the security protocols, uh, for example, HTTP and DSL, which allowed more rapid access and faster connections, right? I don't know if you are old like me, but I literally had a modem back in the 80s, and I would log into uh, places like CompuServe or AOL or just call what we called bulletin board systems, BBSs back then. Now, my first modem, by the way, was 300 baud. And for those who don't know the score, 300 baud turned into 1,200 baud, 1,200 turned into 9,600, 9,600 eventually turned into 64K, 64,000. And that is kind of the crappy old dial-up internet at 64K. I was at 300, not 64,000, 300. So you can only imagine the slow data transfers. Back then, of course, it was all um, text. So it was, you know, much more consolidated than the, the fast moving videos and audio and, and so forth that we do today. Now the article uh, continues to say in 2000, a great number of business companies in the United States and Western Europe represented their services in the World Wide web. At this time, the meaning of the world uh, e-commerce changed, right? People began to define e-commerce as a process of purchasing goods and services over the internet using secure connections and electronic payment services. And I do want to call a, a note about that out right now. So in 1998, I made my first secure e-commerce transaction. That's where we had secure encryption in the shopping cart. And I think it was 128-bit encryption or whatever. And at the time, it was a state of the art. And what that meant is that people couldn't steal your credit card over the open internet uh, kind of uh, data tunnels. So if you think about the internet, it's really just my data going from my computer to some other computer, and it's going along all these open and public corridors. Well, if you don't encrypt it, which is ultimately what that security is all about, then somebody can grab your credit card or grab your personal information. And that's why today, most often HTTPS, which stands for secure on the end there, is what people uh, are using because we want to make sure that we keep our information private. There's a lot of bad guys out there in this world. Just like the rise of e-commerce, you know, buying and selling stuff, so too has been the rise of uh, criminals online. I'm sure you've heard of the dark web. So uh, people began to define the term e-commerce as that process of 
uh, available goods and services. But in the dot-com collapse in 2000, that of course led to many unfortunate results and many e-commerce companies disappeared. Now, although they were called e-commerce, many of them were just crazy flights of fancy that venture capitalists had. Uh, I remember in approximately 1999-2000, we had a company and we were luckily plugged into some really smart people and they're like, hey, we can raise $20 million for you. Let's go do it right now because uh, you know everybody's chasing the dot-com dream. And I remember sitting around with some of the, the um, original shareholders of that company and saying, what are we going to do with $20 million? I mean, literally, we don't even have a business that sells more than tens of thousands at that time, which we were pretty proud of. Uh, we may have done a million dollars in the year 2000. But like, what do we spend $20 million on? And at that time, it was fashionable to spend money on you know, Super Bowl ads and this and that. And so most of the Super Bowl in 99, 2000 was just dot-com companies doing crazy nutty spending. And they were, many of them were funny, many of them were amusing, but uh, most of those companies are gone today. We didn't end up, by the way, raising money because we simply didn't understand how to use the money. It seemed like a nutty thing. So luckily for us, the dot-com collapse uh, didn't impact us because we didn't have all that money. And then as, as that happened, over time, brick-and-mortar retailers have recognized the advantages of e-commerce and began adding capabilities to websites and you know, grocery delivery and things like that. So you may have heard of the online grocery store Webvan, which ultimately went out of business. But now, Safeway and Albertsons and Amazon and Walmart, they all deliver groceries. Um, so you can read that full article, e-commerce land, and kind of think about the origins of e-commerce. Now, this is... A question, you know, when did e-commerce start that people still type in on a very regular basis today? You can go to Google Trends and check that out. Then they go on to ask, when did e-commerce become popular? Uh, they ask about e-commerce quizlets, which are kind of these interactive little sessions that users have with various websites. And then they ask about when did e-commerce start in India, China, the UK, etc. And of course, the ultimate question, who invented e-commerce? Uh, it depends on who you ask, but let's just say I don't think it was Al Gore. Uh, he claims he invented the internet, but uh, of course, uh, politicians, well, let's just say they're not awesomers typically. Not impossible, but just typically not the case. Um, all right, so let's move on to question number two. When uh, Will e-commerce take over retail? And so, as I like to say, many pundits, these are people on TV, you know, radio, podcasts, Myself, I suppose I would be a pundit on some level, uh, and writing articles, blogs, etc. Anybody who thinks they have an opinion and care to share it, that's probably a pundit. And especially when they're on camera, they always pontificate about will e-commerce kill traditional retail, and is is that what's killing all these retailers that are closing in mass? Uh, a Forbes article written by Steve Dennis takes that question head on, and of course we have our own opinions, but the overall death of retail is quite overhyped in our opinion. And while it's true that the landscape is changing, it's just a question of adaptation. Those who fail to adapt will go the way of the dinosaur. So I'll give you an example. Sears um, continues its decline. I can't believe they're still in business. They were saved out of bankruptcy here recently by Eddie Lampert, who by many accounts put them there to begin with. But you know, ultimately, he's, a, he's somebody who saw an opportunity, and he just started picking off pieces of that company you know, once he put investment or money into it, uh, he would lend against those, sell off the assets, and kind of keep stuff. 
But the reality is Sears was a broken company anyway. I know they still have billions of dollars in sales, which is remarkable, but their, their company culture is broken. When we tried to list on the Sears marketplace back in 2009 and 10, when they were still in the, the top three or four websites, I don't know what their position is today, they, they were just impossible to deal with. And although I'm not an insider, I don't know exactly what happened, I chalk it up to the notion that you've got the traditional store-based guys where all the money came from originally, well, only because they killed the catalog where that, the, the origin of that company began, but the, the store guys controlled everything. So they didn't make it easy for the e-commerce uh, people to have a good experience. The sellers have a poor experience, the buyers have a poor experience, and that's a bad combination. So they did not adapt. Uh, there are other retailers who are not adapting quick enough, and they'll get stamped out by capitalism, by the consumer, not by e-commerce per se. Um, and that's, that, again, that's my opinion. Uh, here's a snippet from that Forbes article by Steve Dennis. It seems as if those who spend a lot of time worrying about the future of retail have fallen into two camps, fallen into two camps. There are the retail apocalypse proselytizers who would have us believe that virtually all shopping will eventually be done online, that most brick and mortar stores are doomed, and that anyone who says otherwise is a dinosaur. Oh, that almost sounds like he's quoting me. At the other end of the spectrum, there are disruption deniers who acknowledge that the retail climate is indeed changing, but take comfort in the fact that retail present, presence, uh, physical retail is still growing, and more notably, that e-commerce represents only about 10% of all retail. So it sounds like he's kind of, uh, kind of right in the middle of what I was just talking about. You can read that full art article on Forbes, and again, you can go to awesomers.com slash 138 to get a link over to that. What's the point? The, the point is the mentality of shoppers is part of our objective, part of our obstacle, part of our reality when we're talking about selling in e-commerce. If we choose to ignore how the customers feel about their local mom and pop store going out of business or how they you know, feel about the, the local shopping mall being shuttered because uh, you know, Sears went away and JCPenney closed the location and you know, who knows who else uh, abandoned ship. If they have those kinds of mental uh, anguish points, that can actually lead to negative things happening with consumers spending money, right? They start, they're a little more nervous. They maybe don't buy as much. And <clears throat> pardon me, it's, it's around April uh, 2019 right now as I record this. And I do want to say that I think consumers right now are a little more unsteady. And I, this may manifest itself by the end of this year, but there's probably a little bit of a slowdown that we're, we're coming into, not just related to e-commerce versus retail, but related to some of the, the big picture uh, economics. Uh, things like the US and China continuing to um, annoy each other with uh, tariffs and, and uh, fight with the trade war and other you know, kind of political macroeconomic uh, uncertainty. So my advice to you is uh, for the Osmers out there listening, don't go all in on everything this year. Keep a little bit of reserve. Uh, keep a, a little held back. Only bet on true winners. Don't take, you know, flyers on things that, that you think, ah, this is 50-50. Really try to make it something that you feel very, very confident about. I think those who have cash at the end of this year, maybe even into next year, will be rewarded uh, because of it. 
So uh, some of the offshoot questions related to will e-commerce take over uh, retail are questions like this. Will e-commerce ever make money? There are still a lot of people who are under the impression that e-commerce companies don't make money because that's kind of how e-commerce got its start, right? Back in 99, 2000, you didn't need to make money. In fact, you didn't even need revenue. You just needed cool Super Bowl ads and you were a winner at that time. And by the way, at that time, I still have magazines from that era where in the back of the magazine, like Business 2.0 magazine, it would show the valuations of these e-commerce companies. And I remember, I don't remember exactly which company, but uh, it had a million dollars worth of revenue and it was worth $83 million according to that current valuation, which made it 83 times sales valuation and every valuation in the back of that uh, magazine was based on sales and we would look in there and go well we're doing a million dollars i wonder if we're worth 83 million dollars and of course they weren't and we weren't uh at the end of the day uh, you're worth you know kind of the value that you can uh, deliver to customers and that they reward you with long-term business other questions by the way that people ask related to this topic of you know retail being killed by e-commerce is Will e-commerce replace traditional commerce? And it's, it will become much more of a multi-channel hybrid situation. You know, if you could go today and pick up something and just order it online and have it waiting for you or have it delivered in a short time from the local store, that would be cool, right? People will get into that as long as they can make the economics works. And that has to do a lot with getting better control of their inventories, understanding where it is, making sure that the physical stores don't compete against the online in a way that it has done at Sears. And I suspect, by the way, the same way it's happening at Walmart to some extent. I think Walmart is in an epic civil war between that you know, physical stores and the e-commerce. And uh, although I would love to see Walmart and Target and you know, Facebook and eBay and Google even uh, kind of give uh, Amazon a little more run for the money, Nobody's quite doing as well as Amazon right now. Uh, other questions like, you know, will e-commerce continue to grow? Answer, yes, absolutely. It will continue to take share. That doesn't mean the offline goes away. So even if the percentage of e-commerce goes up as an overall market share, that doesn't mean retail is shrinking. As a matter of fact, I did some numbers a couple years back for a presentation at a mastermind. And... At that point, you know, e-commerce had, had grown that year 22% and retail, physical retail had only grown 2%. And so the quick mathematicians and all of us say, oh, well, 20%, you know, 20% difference. You know, I want the, I'm jumping on the horse with 22% growth. And fundamentally, that's probably the right answer. But what, what people don't realize is that the 2% growth of those retailers was more than all of e-commerce combined. That 2% growth at that time, this is two or three years ago, was more than the entire market of e-commerce, not just the growth of e-commerce, the entire market of e-commerce was in that 2%. So yes, retail will uh, give up some market share to online, but that doesn't mean retail is gonna go away. Again, people don't fully understand what's happening out there and uh, our mission is to kind of help share at least our perspective and maybe some facts along the way. Uh, people ask about how will e-commerce change in the future? How will e-commerce grow? How big will e-commerce get? And will e-commerce dominate? All of these are fair questions. And the answer is 
e-commerce will continue and I think increasingly be a decision point for consumers. People are driven online to ask questions, gather information, and if it's easy, make a purchase. Uh, if it's not, or there's some other um, criterion that the e-commerce can't meet, then the retail will continue to do its job. But I have seen, and I'm sure that you have as well, just walking through a, a traditional store and watching people surf the alternative price on Amazon, right? Or Walmart or what have you. I think Amazon's still winning that. That's called um, showrooming, right? Where you go to a, a traditional retailer and then you look and see what the price is online. You're like, yeah, I kind of like that chair or that lamp or that, you know, whatever computer router, but oh, the price is uh, cheaper online. So I'm going to go check it out there. So there, there will be continued pressure and there will be this back and forth, but it is certainly not the end of the world. So that brings us to our next question. And that is a question that so many people ask. And, uh, I think it deserves uh, some discussion, which is can e-commerce make you rich? And uh, gosh, if you watch all these uh, nutty uh, YouTube videos and uh, listen to some of these guys who show up in hotels selling these get rich quick schemes, you know, uh, pay them 5,000, 10,000, $100,000 and they will help you make, you know, a million times that over the next year or two. We've seen people become uh, criminals as a result of this. Uh, some of the guys doing the, the road shows in hotels were actually uh, charged and put in jail because they are selling snake oil, essentially. Uh, I don't ever believe in get-rich-quick schemes. I really don't. It doesn't matter if it's e-commerce or anything else. And I don't want people out there to think that e-commerce in its own right is somehow going to make you rich. Nothing makes you rich. You either earn it or you don't. You either create something of value and, and therefore d deliver equity to your shareholders, or you don't. Uh, so I think too many people ask the wrong questions about e-commerce, making them rich or making them wealthy. If you start a business trying to get rich, I think you're heading for trouble right off the bat. And I think it's dumb to try to chase the almighty dollar or the Yankee dollars, they might say in the UK, just uh, solely on that basis. In other words, if you start a business to get rich, it's unlikely to succeed. However, if you start a business to help someone solve a problem, you're far more likely to find legs in that business. Legs uh, being the operative word for traction. Luckily, the world we live in today allows us to pursue a business which focuses on solving someone's problem in a far faster and easier way than ever before. Uh, E-commerce platforms like Shopify, Amazon, WordPress, Wix, Square, and so many others are not going to make themselves in and of themselves. It's simply not possible. And honestly, I'm imploring you, I'm begging you, don't listen to people who say, just follow this or just buy this and I'm going to make you rich because it's, it's absolutely not going to be the case. Now, again, I counterbalance that with you can create a business that creates equity. And ultimately, even wealth, you know, when you have an exit uh, or monetization event, if you think about creating something that has value. Hey, what about if we build a brand instead of spinning up a Shopify site that lists a bunch of AliExpress crap that somebody else drop ships for you? And that delivers nothing of inherent value. I know guys who do this. I know guys who do pretty well with this. But it, in general, it's not going to work. There is no inherent value there. And I am not 
beating up on the people. I'm beating up on the idea. I don't think that long-term adds value. In fact, it's not a question of think. It doesn't add value. I'm right. You're wrong. There you go. Uh, I, I included a couple articles at awesomers.com slash 138 about why Shopify can't make you rich and is e-commerce a get-rich-quick scheme uh, in general. And again, I want to talk about some of the other questions that people ask about this. This is not just about entrepreneurs who are pursuing e-commerce to help them fulfill their, their uh, personal why and, and maybe their, their you know, life uh, dreams. It's about the mentality of consumers out there as well. So if they think that e-commerce is just a bunch of people chasing get-rich-quick schemes, how likely are they to trust us? How likely are they to put their faith in each of us as individual e-commerce sites, brands, what have you? And that's why I think it's important that we focus on the fundamentals and not get carried away in silly, you know, get-rich-quick scheme uh, mentality or pursuits. I don't respect people who lie to anyone, uh, much less entrepreneurs. And I have a particular level of disdain for those who prey on e-commerce entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs. I don't like predators hurting e-commerce entrepreneurs. Now, I want to give a couple shout-outs uh, as we wrap up today. I've ran a little longer than I anticipated. And uh, I don't know if you can hear the rain, but it is it is really coming down here in Seattle. Uh, it's not normal for us to get heavy rains. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if you can hear that or not, but it's substantial. Normally, if we get rain, it's just little drops and dribs, but it is like a little mini hurricane out there. Uh, the wind is blowing, trees are bent over, and vertically against my windows uh, in this office, the rain is hitting. So there's your weather update in case you're wondering that. Uh, maybe a new podcast feature is uh, traffic and weather on the sevens. Uh, stay tuned. We'll see if we implement that. Uh, I want to give a couple shout outs. And if you're listening to me now, I thank you for your time. And I want you to do uh, pay attention for just a few more minutes and maybe uh, do me a favor or two. Uh, first is, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, if you haven't left a review, please leave a review. iTunes reviews are the most valuable. We're, we're trying to rank over there, and that's how you do it. By the way, five stars where it's at. Uh, I think most e-commerce entrepreneurs can do that math. Wow. It's like somebody's just throwing water against my windows. My apologies if you can hear that background noise. So uh, subscribe and review if you please. And don't forget to share this. It only grows as kind of a pirate ship for entrepreneurs if you guys share it out there. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever your favorite is. Uh, if you haven't already gone to kevinandsteve.com, we have something really special happening there. Check that out right now, kevinandsteve.com. And get on over to empowery.com and check out the Empowery 2019 Seattle Summit. We're going to have an event in Seattle that will knock your socks off. This is not the kind of event where you show up and everybody's sitting there pitching you left and right. This is about knowledge transfer. It's about actionable steps for e-commerce entrepreneurs. And if you are uh, in e-commerce or an Amazon seller, you will walk away with actionable items every single day that you can easily 10x or more your money over the coming year. And this is not uh, fake uh, hype. This is not uh, me saying something that's not possible. It's absolutely possible. Some of the things we're going to unveil there are extraordinary new ranking methods that have been working for well over a year. We have countless case studies really powerful stuff. Many other things, uh, you know, 
really how to set up an organization, how to change your life quickly by hiring the right people and how to do that, and so many other things. How to build brands, just really, really important things. How to sell brands, by the way. How to position your brand to sell. All of this, if you're thinking about selling the next five years, if you're thinking about building your business and scaling, you should be there. And this is not, as I said, a big sales pitch. You're not gonna be, we're not up on stage pitching you stuff. We're telling you, here's how we do stuff, and we think you should adopt those things too. The other thing is, we don't have some secret VIP room where all the speakers hang out. We're together. It's like a big family. We eat together, we relax, we have coffee breaks together. It's all together in a, a big, beautiful venue in the greater Seattle region. In fact, it's the newest, coolest venue in the Seattle region. So I really hope that you'll join us. And if you go to awesomers.com slash contact and ask for a 50% discount, you will get a 50% discount on the general admission tickets by saying the code go 50 now uh, You in that uh, contact message. Go 50 now. Now that's just on general admission. The cost of this event is extraordinary. We're putting on wonderful meals. The VIP tickets also get meals at night and, and uh, a third day of masterminding. So uh, we can't offer that because the, the costs are too high, but I, I should say it differently. We can't offer that 50% discount on those VIP tickets, but on general admission, we wanna to try to make it simple for you to get there. So check that out right now, giddy on up, and uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you sharing, subscribing, and reviewing. This has been awesomers.com slash 138. Go there now. Check out the show notes. Check out the links on these articles. And uh, I just want you to know I appreciate you. See you next time, everybody.